This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, welcome back to the Freedom Hunt. Israel Ortega joins us now. He's a senior writer for Opportunity Lives, where he focuses on immigration, education, and other policy areas. Uh, he's also a political commentator, uh, and he comes to Opportunity Lives from the Heritage Foundation where he founded Libertad.org. All right, Israel, thank you for calling in. Hey, Buck. Uh, so what do you think about the latest Trump moves on immigration? Let's talk about it. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, it, it makes sense in terms of uh, enforcing existing immigration laws. I mean, for, for quite some time, as you know, we, we really haven't been doing that in the previous administration and circumventing Congress uh, when uh, the president didn't get his way. So, uh, in many ways, President Trump is simply enforcing existing immigration law. Uh, you know, my, my concern is, is, is sort of the cost and, 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 and how big government is going to get as a result of what President Trump is proposing. And so I would just urge caution. And I think Congress certainly has a role to play in, in, in terms of, um, you know, providing some feedback and guidance as this is implemented. Now, uh, you think, based on what I see here uh, from your Twitter account, that that the uh, that that DACA was that that Trump is right on DACA. What do you think? Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, that that that's a no brainer. Uh, I mean, I think I think uh, you know the fact is that some of the, the, the these kids were brought here uh, not you know because of their own you know uh, you know this is basically as those kids you know so they, I don't think they, they did anything wrong. Um, by coming here because their parents came here legally. Um, and I mean, you know, the, the numbers are out there. I mean, a lot of these kids uh, are have either uh, gotten a college degree or pursuing postgraduate degrees. They have jobs or employed. So, I mean, they're not a burden on our society. And so, to me, it makes sense for them to stay in this country. So, uh, I think President Trump showed great compassion on that. But again, this is, this is a short-term thing. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, Congress would have to codify this into law. And, and unfortunately, I think President Trump is just sort of doing an extension and not sort of uh, doing something more long term. And so you're OK, then, or, or you're supportive of the expansion of the 
those who are possibly facing deportation now include anybody who is in the country illegally and commits an additional crime, right? That's and so it doesn't have to just be a violent crime or a serious crime. It can be yeah. document fraud. It can be DUI, which is pretty serious, but uh, it, yeah. it can be things that traditionally or until recently were not considered to be uh, uh, de- de- deportable. Yes, but very unlikely to be deportable. Right. Well, I think that part of that is we're going to wait and see. I mean, uh, on calls, on media calls, the Department of Homeland Security said that like, first they don't, they don't have the, the capacity to sort of round up people and that this is going to be done humanely. And so I take them at their word. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're not concerned about how this is actually done. Um, I think that it, it, it's fair to say that there are going to be some individuals who are going to be arrested, deported, who have committed no other crime than just being here in this country illegally. Um, but that, you know, this is this is something that happened even during uh, President Obama's administration and President Bush's administration. So, so some of that will be there. Uh, but again, you know, I just I, I do worry, particularly when it comes to uh, empowering local law enforcement officials to carry out federal law, to enforce federal law. You know, that, that doesn't just happen overnight, and, and that doesn't prevent uh, abuses, as we saw in Maricopa County in Arizona a few years back. Now, what do you think the Trump administration should do uh, with regard to sanctuary cities? It looks like there's going to be a showdown here between the various localities across the country that think that yeah. they don't have any obligation to assist law enforcement and immigration matters. Trump is saying we're going to pull back uh, funding, federal funding for those cities, and we're going to make examples of them and use the force of the federal government to make them comply. Uh, what do you think the proper course is here? Right. I mean, it, 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 it's a little bit um, uh, worrisome, you know, when the government is sort of extorting um, states and, and, and local governments. I mean, we saw this with Obama with Race to the Top. And so just as a matter of principle in terms of federalism, it's a little bit of, it's a little bit concerning. But did we I can't hear Israel. Are you there? Hello. We're going to have more of these battles with the states and the federal government going at it and then going to the courts. And so if I'm President Trump, you know, I, I, I do look at, at OK, what do we, what's the long term vision here? Um, and if the political capital is there, um, how do I use some of that to to really work with Congress to come up with something that is going to basically prevent more of what we're seeing here day to day? And the uh, Labor Secretary, um, you wrote here on OpportunityLives.com, Trump's uh, Labor Secretary Acosta, he's the son of Cuban immigrants. What do you think of Acosta in this role? No, it's good. It it makes sense. I mean, he's going to be someone who is going to be easy to confirm. Uh, I mean, Democrats are even saying uh, they're probably going to, you know, vote for him. Uh, he, he's very harmless. Um, he's someone who, you know, President Trump can now say, uh, "I have a Hispanic on my cabinet." Not, not that, that you know that's a requirement, but it's a talking. It'll, it'll, it'll get a talking point away from some some of these Democrat and progressive groups about President Trump's lack of Hispanic representation in the cabinet. So he's, he's going to be a, he's going to be a good cabinet secretary, and it should be very easy to confirm. Okay, great. And uh, the meeting that's going on between. Uh, Tillerson and uh, senior Mexican officials over, well, everything having to do with our southern border and, and the U.S.-Mexico bilateral relationship. Uh, the Mexican government, or at least some members of the Mexican government, senior members, said that they're not just going to comply with what the U.S. wants, sort of ratcheted up tensions before this. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. do you, what, do you, what are your expectations for what's going on down there? 
Well, uh, I think you know, it's fine for us to, to, to play hardball with Mexico. I mean, Mexico also uh, has shown a tendency to, to avoid making some hard decisions in terms of creating economic, economic opportunities for Mexicans in Mexico, uh, which is something that I've been arguing for. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's, it's important that we put pressure on Mexico. But uh, this whole idea that we're going to basically um, force uh, or compel Mexico to pay for the physical border wall on the U.S.-Mexico border, uh, to me, uh, it's still something that I, I have a hard time believing how Mexico would, would ever, ever agree to something like that. Do you think Mexico is going to, uh, uh, I think the main objection I've seen so far has to do with if we deport people even who aren't Mexican, but predominantly, uh, at least from what I've seen, those who are crossing the border illegally in recent years are Central American crossing through Mexico. So the Trump administration is saying whether they're Mexican or Central American, we're just we're just going to drop them back on the other side of the border when we catch them and when we pick them up making an illegal crossing. Mexico is pushing back on that, but I, I feel like there might be a, this might be a contentious point. I'm not sure the I'm not sure the Trump administration is going to just give up on this one. Yeah, and, and and there's maybe there's maybe a case to be made for that, but you know Mexico. You know, one thing to, to keep in mind, Buck, is that you know the Mexican president Peña Nieto and his party uh, have very very low approval ratings, and so the more that they attack President Trump, that the the more they they sort of stand up to President Trump and the U.S., the better that helps them. And so a lot of that this is the political calculation happening in Mexico. So I would I would I think that that's important to keep in mind um, whether or not some of these things about paying for the border wall and you know, the, the, the migrants that are sent back to Mexico. Uh, not sure that's going to be resolved overnight. But in the meantime, uh, this is something that the Mexican politicians and Peña Nieto is going to use to their advantage. And uh, you also write about um, uh, health care on OpportunityLives.com. And I wanted to ask you about how you say consumer-driven health care is possible. Just ask Indiana. What can we learn from Indiana about health care? Right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, as you know, Buck, uh, a, a lot of times, uh, you know, when Republicans talk about uh, the, the replacement piece of Obamacare, uh, one of the things that comes up is, is this idea of health savings accounts. Uh, and so, uh, you know, Republicans often get criticized. Of, hey, well, well, show me examples where this is happening. And um, actually, this is happening in, in, in Indiana. Um, it, it's, it's a small program, but it's, it's, it's called uh, Healthy Indiana Program, HIP 2.0. Um, and, and it's working pretty, pretty well. I mean, uh, folks who have signed up for this program are, are re-enlisting. They're paying uh, money out of their own pocket. They have ownership uh, of their HSA. And so, um, to me, this is proof that, you know, when Republicans are talking about a replacement piece, about empowering consumers, this is possible. It's happening in Indiana at a smaller scale, but uh, I think that that's something to build upon. Uh, why do you think the Obamacare repeal is taking so long? I mean, what is the problem here? <laughs> well, uh, it's partly, uh, I think, the question of, of centrist, moderate Republicans, and then, uh, you know, more conservative Republicans. And, and at the end of the day is, uh, you know, do we wait for a replacement plan before voting in a repeal plan? Uh, I think that's the, that's the holdup. You can imagine who's, who's arguing for what. Uh, but, you know, I expect, I think this is, this is important for Republicans. I feel like they need to deliver uh, because I think Republicans are expecting um, uh, yeah, Republican voters are expecting Republicans to repeal Obamacare, and if they, if they fall short of that, that's going to be problematic for them uh, in two years' time. All right. Israel Ortega, he's a senior writer for Opportunity Lives. Uh, anywhere else you want to direct people listening, Israel, to your work? Yeah, no, uh, thanks, Buck. Uh, just uh, at Izzy Ortega. You can follow me on Twitter, at Izzy Ortega. 
uh, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm always on that. And so uh, you can follow me, keep up with me, what I'm doing there. All right, Israel, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it. Thanks, bud. And team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton, the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. Team, there are people who are showing up at these uh, town halls all over the country. Uh, well, in a few places. I think the media is, you know, trying to get this narrative going more than the facts would lead one to. But this is, uh, this is of course, an opportunity for people to grandstand and talk about how terrible Republicans are. Um, so... That's happening. But then there was this. There was a do we have this audio of a seven year old speaking to Senator Cotton? Please play it. Wait, did we did that work? I just, all I heard was white static noise. Hello? Oh, it's not working, guys. All right. I'm sorry about that. Um, anyway, uh, OK, so this is what ends up happening. A, a seven year old. Um, a seven-year-old gets up and asks uh, Senator Cotton about how he doesn't want PBS to be defunded because of the wall. And I just have to say, um, do we really think that a seven... I mean, I, I barely remember anything from when I was seven, but I, I'm, I'm pretty darn sure that I wasn't busting out the spreadsheet and wondering aloud about uh, how one would go about uh, politics like this. I'm pretty sure I was never sitting around saying, well, PBS, you know, this is a time when uh, PBS is going on, going through a rough patch and the federal government uh, should not be taking funds away from PBS in order to fund a wall. I mean, does anyone really think a seven-year-old came up with this on his, on his own? And the media holds us up and it becomes this, this viral moment. And I, I just, for me, I look at this and I say to myself, okay, well, this all feels very fakey. Um, this all quite obviously is somebody, adults told the kid to say this. Um, but I, I wonder, it's very hard to separate out, at least for me at this point, who that is doing this, right? Who that is engaged in um, these 
sorts of town hall exchanges with uh, various members of Congress and senators. Uh, who is for real, who is a grassroots conservative activist or what have you, versus who is a plant by progressive activists? Because this is a great, this is a great way for them to get sound bites that the media picks up, all under the guise of this is a revolt uh, against the Republicans because they haven't done enough already. It's the the purpose, it seems to me, in much of the media's coverage of the way that things are going for this administration and for this Republican uh, majority Congress, um, the purpose of all this seems to me to be um, to make it look like there's an anarchy happening. That is the purpose of this. That is why they are doing what they are doing. And I just have to say, I find it... Uh, very distressing that so much of the media will run with this and not even apply the basic scrutiny of, you know, hey, uh, this whole situation that's playing out here with this kid asking this question seems a little staged to me. I'm just going to put that out there. It, it strikes me as odd that a seven-year-old is asking astute political questions that also, of course, uh, make the administration or make the Republicans look mean and heartless. I, I just, you know, but but it's it, if the soundbite works, even if it works for a day and they find out later on that this was a plant, well, you know, then from there, they'll just, uh, you know, they'll figure it out, I guess. They, they've already gotten what they wanted out of this whole process. Um, but you know, Republicans at this point, there's not really much to get the conservative base fired up about. So I can understand why there's some agitation at these town halls. You had a, a woman, we played it yesterday on the night show, who showed up at Mitch McConnell's town hall in Kentucky. And you really get the sense that the, a lot of these reps and, and elected officials, the last thing they really want is to face the, um, you know, is to face their constituents. Uh, that, that for them is like, oh, gosh, really? I have to do this now? Um, but, you know, it's... Uh, it's one of those things uh, that you see these Republicans having to stand up there and, and they have these constituents. Do we, we don't have the Mitch McConnell audio, do we? I didn't look at that. In the, uh, anyway, if we... Oh, we don't. All right, sorry. I thought I was looking through our, our clip list here. I thought maybe we could pull that one out. But yes, yeah, CNN tweeted out, seven-year-old to Senator Tom Cotton, don't take away PBS kids to build a wall. Yeah, because this kid came up with that. I mean, thanks, thanks, CNN. This kid came up with that on his own um and it's just ridiculous it really is um you know i mean look the, the kids it's fine if the kid wants to say that and even if a parent told them and free speech and all that i get it but the, the perception here isn't or or the the story that this is coming from a kid because oh look at that isn't that you know kids say the darnest things and that's so cute that's just not real and all these town halls with the republicans i don't know i i want to see what they uh, what they tackle as main issues uh, when they get back. Um, I want to see what they are. Um, I want to see what they are planning uh, because so far it's been really, from my perspective, and and I know that maybe this is impatient, but it's been really lackluster on the Republican side. They really haven't been, um, you know, they haven't been able to come up with uh, any policy agenda item to get through at this stage. Now, people say that Obama got through, uh, what was it, the stimulus plan at this point? 
But to be fair to the Republicans, the stimulus plan, one, didn't work the way it was supposed to work, which even the Democrats, although now they'll probably say that that's not true, at the time they were saying, well, it wasn't big enough. So they admitted it didn't work and they wanted to spend more money, but now they probably say, well, it was actually pretty good because, you know, Obama didn't, he's a Democrat. But the stimulus was just, let's just throw a lot of money at things we want to throw money at and uh, do it under the uh, under the uh, guise of this is a crisis. So that's not really fair. Um, that's not really fair uh, to, to compare them to that. But I do hope Republicans get some stuff done. We're hearing now, what is it, Mnuchin, the Treasury Secretary, says that tax reform, um, tax reform is coming in August. Well, I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see if that, in fact, happens. Um, I don't know if tax reform is going to be uh, on time and on schedule. I, I wonder, I worry that this is just going to keep getting delayed and delayed because, I don't know, Republicans don't have the stomach to do what they say they're going to do. I'm not really, I'm not really clear on why this keeps getting pushed back. I know they say it's complicated and it takes time. What do all these think tanks in D.C. do again? And the members of Congress that have been sitting there in opposition when the Democrats had control, they're saying, just give us the power and we'll get it done. Well, it seems like it's give us the power, we'll get it done within a few years. But that's not really what we signed on for, is it? I find this all quite strange. So we'll have to see uh, whether, you know, these town halls, I think some of this is progressive infiltration. I think Trump was telling the truth when he tweeted that. It was progressive infiltration, but I also think that some of this is a sense of unease that Republican reps may be, um, may be losing their nerve. Uh, 888-900-3393-TEAM. Uh, do call in. Love to chat with you. We've got some spots open on the lines. We'll be back right after this break. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we're joined by our friend Adam Credo. He's senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon, and he's down at CPAC. What's up, Adam? Hey, buddy. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Oh, thanks. Uh, scoping out the scene here down at CPAC. Yeah, tell me about it. How's it going? Um, you know what? It actually looks pretty good. Uh, full, as always. Um I got to say, people are a little bit more upbeat this year than they were last year. Uh, definitely noticing that. Okay, that's good. So uh, what are some of the exciting, I mean, I know we weren't going to talk about CPAC today, but since you're there, what are some of the exciting sure. things you're up to? Well, we're waiting for uh, Steve Bannon to come on stage. That's happening in just a couple minutes. But I will tell you, uh, just a bit earlier, I did a roundtable, small gathering of reporters with uh, Senator Cruz, and that was actually really fascinating to me, um, you know, my wheelhouse. So I focused on the national security front and asked him a little bit about uh, Michael Flynn, this resignation story that I had reported and broke about um, Flynn kind of being pushed out due to targeted leaks by Obama administration holdovers and loyalists. And Cruz seemed to agree with that. Now, he told me that 
look, if you, uh, as the White House says, if you don't inform the vice president about a call, there's probably grounds for that. But in terms of what Flynn did, holding these conversations with Russian officials, there's nothing untoward here. There's nothing inappropriate. The real crime is the leak of this information by those individuals in the intelligence community who are really looking to undermine Flynn course, the Trump national security team. So I found that fascinating. The other thing I'll tell you about um, on Iran, a point of disagreement, actually, between Cruz and Trump. Uh, Cruz, as we know, advocated for removing the Iran nuclear deal wholesale, just getting rid of it, tossing in the trash. He still believes that, but um, he's hoping that Trump, who doesn't really want to scrap the deal but negotiate it, will rigorously enforce it. That is, stop letting Iran fire missiles, ballistic missiles, things of this nature. So I found that particular fascinating tell me about some of the pieces you have up on freebeacon.com european counter-terror official irgc muslim brotherhood are not terror groups tell me about that yeah that's a fascinating one this comes from uh a european official he works for the osce um and government in the european union and actually is um really a a leading voice on counterterrorism and um, combating radicalization, things of this nature. His name's Peter Newman. And I think it was shocking to a lot of people in that community to see him say that, one, the IRGC is not a terrorist group and should not be designated as such, but also the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, he claims, is not a terrorist group and, not sh- and should not be formally designated. I think that's a bit surprising, but it also uh, really speaks to a larger kind of perspective we see um, Europe's fight to combat terrorism. You wonder why they're having trouble with this. I think it comes from a failure to actually identify what the risk is, from whom it's originating, and taking action to uh, combat this. And that would be really designating the IRGC and the Muslim Brotherhood, both of whom in Europe are waging and orchestrating terror attacks, particularly the IRGC, which really is, uh, in terms of terrorism, one of the most nefarious actors across the globe. Now, tell me about Iranian dissidents as demand investigation into Islamic regime's secret U.S. lobbying network. Mm, This is actually a really good one, and I I was really glad I was able to get this story out there. This is somewhat unprecedented. This is a group of nearly 100 Iranian dissidents. They come from all sectors of society. Some of them are uh, in the government. Some of them are in real estate. Um, Some of them uh, operate elsewhere in like the human rights world, things of this nature. All of these people came together to say one simple thing to Congress. We need to start investigating this lobbying network um, that claims to represent the Iranian American community, but really has done things like push the Iran nuclear deal, uh, bolster the regime in Tehran, and is really not actually represented of the dissident community. These people want regime change. These people want a secular government. They don't want the mullahs in charge. So these people are coming together to say that, look, if you hold hearings, we will give you the truth. We'll tell you what the organizations are that are lobbying in the U.S. We'll tell you what the organizations are that are co-opting things like Voice of America's Persian service, which has done a lot of Iranian propaganda. I've written about that in the past. And these people want to see some actual change, and they think they can get it with the Trump administration. 
All right. And uh, we got one more up here. Uh, U.S. government computers still not safe from cyber attacks. Tell me about that. (laughs) This is, I would honestly got to say, this is almost an evergreen story. I mean, once a quarter, at least, we see a report from the Government Accountability Office saying that, guys, your computers aren't safe. You're being infiltrated on a daily basis, and you're not actually taking steps to counter this. So yet again, that is what this report says. I believe over the past 10 years, according to this report, um, they've identified about 2,500 major weaknesses in the computing network. That is computers that are linked between federal agencies within federal agencies and beyond. And these computers uh, are honestly running on a lot of outdated software. And the GAO said, look, guys, here are some simple fixes. Uh, About a thousand of those yet to be implemented. They're moving very slowly. And in the meantime, we see an uptick in hacking from Russia, from Iran, from other nefarious actors, whether there are people looking to um, undertake financial crimes or, of course, steal state secrets. And these computers remain vulnerable to these types of attacks. And I would say, uh, yeah, you identified 2,500. That's great. But I think that there are uh, an untold number of other vulnerabilities uh, in the government computing systems that probably need to be addressed. They should get some real experts in there. But according to this report, they don't actually have them. So um, for the time being, we're we're still just as vulnerable to whether uh, hacking of the infrastructure, that is our electrical grid, things of this nature, hacking in terms of state secrets, we're just as vulnerable as we ever have been. Now, what are some of the uh, na- who are some of the national security folks that are going to be talking down at CPAC? By the way, um, so we saw Cruz earlier today, um, though he didn't touch on national security as much as I might have liked him to in the public forum. He did in the private forum with me and other reporters. Um, I think we'll see Bannon touching on some of this stuff. We've already heard from speakers who are really out there defending the Trump uh, immigration halt. That is the ban stopping immigration from these countries of concern, these terrorism hotspots. And I think the argument being made is one that's very simple and easy to kind of digest, not just for the crowd who want it, but for the crowd who might not be willing to uh, accept its message. That is more of the liberal voters, the anti-Trump people. But that is that, look, our nation's borders are vulnerable, and it's not just an issue of immigration. It's a national security issue. That is the infiltration of potential terrorists, those who have radical ideologies. And I've seen a lot of that from the podium. And I think that's important. I think that's really kind of the uh, core argument here. It's not about um, rallying against any one type of immigration, whether it be from the southern border or from foreign nations uh, that have Muslim majorities. It's about national security and stopping potential threats to the country. And are you hearing anything down there about the investigations into Russia? Is that is anyone, I know it's CPAC and Trump is the president, you're probably not, you know, no one's holding a big yeah. banner up that says, I, I, I want Russian investigations. But we have heard from some Republicans that they're pushing for this. Is there any talk about any of that stuff? Well, you know, I, I haven't heard that from the podium. I did hear that from uh, Senator Cruz in the Reporters Forum. Um, he actually talked a bit about how he would prefer the Trump administration take a little bit of a rhetorical tougher tone on Russia. That is calling Putin a thug, as Cruz put it, and uh, really putting out there the fact that, look, uh, these guys do a lot of bad things and they need to be held to account for the bad things that 
they do. Um, the other thing that Cruz touched on in particular that I had heard from other speakers is an investigation into Flynn. That is not him necessarily doing anything illegal, but how these leaks got out there. That I think is going to be really a key thing to look at going forward. That is naming, putting names to these faceless bureaucrats who leaked extremely classified information. Uh, so I think that's going to be important going forward, too. So they're, they're going to pursue that investigation. That is the that is still the word down there. Well, the Intel Committee, yeah, the Intel Committees have said this, and I, I don't think there's anything to stop them, uh, quite honestly. Now, look, these are going to be bipartisan committees. It's not just Democrats or Republicans helming them. It's the Intel Committees working together. These guys already um, have proven that they can work together, both Republicans and Democrats. So I think there's going to be a real pursuit to get to the truth. And when you look at the truth and what is illegal versus um, uh, not illegal. Flynn's calls were not illegal. Nothing untoward in that sense happened there. But leaking this information, that is the content of these calls. That is highly illegal and a serious felony. Yes, yes, it, 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 it is. It is indeed. Uh, I remember this from my time in the agency. It's certain things that you can get in a lot of trouble for, and that <laughs> yeah. is... That yep. is definitely one of them. Uh, Adam Credo is a senior writer for the Washington Free Beacon. He is at K-R-E-D-O-0 on Twitter. Yes. Uh, before we let you go, Adam, uh, so CPAC, if people want to watch, there's a live stream of it, right? I believe that there is, although, look. Are I you going to be doing any interviews or anything? Or we, you know, if we, if we want to ride along with Credo down at CPAC, how do we do that? Well, look, um, obviously the Twitter feed, K-R-E-D-O-0, as you said, and anything that pops up interesting, you can be sure I'll be putting a headline on it and getting it on freebeacon.com. All right, Adam. Thanks so much for calling in, buddy. Good to talk to you. Always my pleasure, sir. All right, team. Uh, phone lines are open, 888-900-3393. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. On the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Buck Sexton Show. All right, Team Buck, we got Brian in Massachusetts on the phone. What's up, Brian? Hey, Buck, Shields High. Shields High. Hey, hey I wanted to bring up, uh, you know, it's not just PBS, but it's also NBC that's using kids to push their agenda. They had a uh, something that's called uh, Dear Mr. President or Letters to the President or something like that, where they would just start talking all this hate towards the president. And I, there's a couple of reasons why I think they're doing this. Um, the first is... It's their way to push their agenda without being challenged because nobody's going to challenge a 70-year-old to a debate. Nobody's going to go into Fox and say, little Betsy Sue is wrong because of this. You know, it's, it's just a way to go unchallenged. And the second reason is I think the actual target is the children of the people watching these news programs. You know, if a 70-year-old sees a 70-year-old talking about this kind of stuff, now you got to explain to your little kid it's not actually just a wall. It's about drug smuggling and human trafficking and what's human trafficking. And it's just taking advantage of you know, the minds of these, you know, the, the ignorance of children, which is probably one of the worst things they can do. And it just makes me so angry to see it. Well, I just, the, the report on this, I mean, anybody who hears the question this kid asked, there's no way a seven-year-old is asking that question. But all of a sudden, reporter skepticism just disappears out the window. Oh, well, I don't know. You know, maybe the kid just reads the Wall Street Journal every day. He's seven yeah, years I mean, old. They're, yeah, they're just trying to, like, force this, this thought, this uh, this feeling of hatred towards the president, 
maybe they're trying to make the next generation of Democrats or something like that. You know, I mean, they're, they're thinking ahead. But I mean, they got to stay away from the kids. It's just it's just despicable what they're doing. I mean, nobody's. It's just a terrible thing for them to do. There's no morals at all. Yeah, I hear you, man. All right, Brian, thank you for calling in from Massachusetts. Shields high. Uh, Julie in Texas, you're on the Buck Saxton Show. Hi, Buck. You know, I'm wondering, with all of this, um, the posturing and the the contrived situations like the one you're talking about, plus what's going on in the government, you having been a member uh, or having worked for the government, what do you think the chances are that some of the infiltrators like the Muslim Brotherhood and some of the others that are have gotten a toehold into our government, hopefully not a foothold, how, how much trouble is, is the Trump administration going to have getting rid of them, cleaning them out, firing them? Tracking them down uh, a, a lot. You're, you're never. I mean, the government is is overrun with leftists and Democrats. You're never really going to get rid of uh, the progressive impulse that the federal government has, and and you, and you 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 can't and you really shouldn't. Right? You're just looking for the people that are are betraying the the public trust put in them in order to pursue a political agenda. Which I right. think even among the Democrats uh, who are far left who are in government is probably a, a a very small percentage, although it remains to be seen how much obstruction the Trump administration will face. So, you know, we'll have to see. Um, I don't really know um, exactly what to expect from the, the bureaucracy as it pushes back against well, the Trump the administration. Well, the leaks are, are really concerning, too. Yeah, of course. I mean, but I think the leaks are from probably a handful of people. I mean, you're talking about a federal government with hundreds of thousands of employees, right? So let's let's not uh, allow ourselves to think that this is everyone in the government or even a majority or a large portion of the government. I think it's a very small subset of the government. Does that make sense? Yes, I hope so. I hope you're right. I, cause it, I hope I'm it, right, too. I hope I'm right all the time. That's certainly not the case. But on this one, I think I'm uh, I, I think I'm probably pretty close to uh, pretty close to the truth. So you know, we'll see your background. Uh, thank you, Julie. Yeah, I, I, I take a pretty dim view of, of the federal bureaucracy in general as somebody who used to work for it. But uh, again, we'll, we will have to see. But uh, Julie in Texas, uh, Shields High, thank you very much for calling in. So everybody, if you haven't already, please uh, download uh, the Buck Sexton with America Now show, which is on every night, 6 to 9 Eastern. It's on iTunes, so click subscribe there. We've got a great show planned for tonight. And of course, I'll be back with your, uh, you here tomorrow at noon for a little Freestyle Friday action. Uh, I've got a lot of thoughts, a lot planned uh, with all of you, so uh, please do uh, give me a uh, give me a call tonight if you can, and uh, tomorrow obviously we'll be taking calls throughout the show as well. Uh, so iTunes, Buck Saxon with America now, subscribe please. And until tonight or tomorrow, Shields High. You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.